SOTA CBD products are scientifically proven and dermatologist approved to help with insomnia, overexposure to outside environmental elements, and other inflammatory issues. Scientific research is the starting point for every product they make, and SOTA products are formulated to specifically address sleep and anxiety, environmental damage, as well as inflammation and pain, both systemically and topically. SOTA CBD is purposeful in providing scientifically studied ingredients that are proven to work and then infused with CBD to target very specific disease states that many face every day. Go ahead, use coupon code FINDINGGENIUS, all one word, for a 25% discount at checkout. Visit SOTACBD.com to shop now. Use code FINDINGGENIUS. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have Jim Joyce. Uh, he's the CEO of Segan Therapeutics. That's spelled S-I-G-Y-N. He has 30 plus years of diverse public market experience. Uh, he's had two decades public company CEO and corporate board leadership roles. He's also an inventor or co-inventor of 18 plus uh, issued patents. So we're going to talk about Segan today. Tim, thanks for coming. My pleasure, Richard. Thanks for having me on. If you would tell me a bit about your background that led up to you uh, starting or joining Segan. Well, previously, you know, my focus is, for the last couple decades has been therapeutic blood purification technologies. And uh, prior to Segan, I was the founder of a company called Athlon Medical which was a company that we, we built from a single shareholder startup to over 8,000 shareholders on NASDAQ. But at, at Athlon, I oversaw the development of a product called the Hemopurifier, which was the first in industry product to remove a broad spectrum of infectious viruses from the bloodstream. And the first breakthrough, first therapy to receive two breakthrough device designations from FDA. And so the premise of what we're doing here at Segan Therapeutics is is somewhat similar, but our focus is directed towards life-threatening inflammatory conditions that can precipitate sepsis and, and a wide range of other conditions. What's, so what's the goal of Segan? How, how does it uh, work with these kind of conditions and how do you help? Well, the one thing we've learned with sepsis is that as it relates to the advancement of drug therapy, sepsis is undefeated. There's been more than 100 controlled studies uh, looking at candidate drugs to treat sepsis, sepsis. And, it, and today there's, there's no approved therapies. And, and we recognize you need to have a means to be able to hit multiple targets on a rapid real-time basis uh, to be able to kind of reset the equilibrium of the immune system. So in our case, we're removing through a blood purification technology, both the pathogen sources of the inflammation that lead to sepsis, as well as the inflammatory mediators. Uh, that caused the cytokine storm, which 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 precipitates sepsis. What is sepsis? And when someone's septic, or they're turning septic, what does that mean? Well, <laughs> Richard, there's a definition of sepsis, which is sometimes controversial, but it's considered to be a dysregulated immune response as a result to an infection. And so you see 
and inflammation, uh, which is a normal course of the immune system's response to infection, the production of pro-inflammatory cytokines. But in some cases, this production becomes dysregulated and can cause what's known as the cytokine storm, which can lead to tissue destruction, multiple organ failure, and result in death. So what's happening if someone has an infection? What is a turning point or what are some of the hallmarks of the situation turning to uh, you know, this critical problem of sepsis? Look at COVID-19 for an example, because the leading cause of severe death and severe infections is cytokine storm syndrome, which, which leads to sepsis. And it's fascinating because somebody's infected the viral pathogen such as COVID-19. They produce their immune response, causes the production of pro-inflammatory cytokines, antibodies, and other components of the immune system to combat the infection. But the dysregulation occurs because the virus is sending signals that are both decoys, but also they cause the immune system to over-respond. So the virus is shedding surface glycoproteins, which the immune system can't decipher as whether they're infectious or non-infectious particles. Only a small percentage of the viruses themselves are infectious. So the immune system can easily kind of over-calibrate or over-respond to the infection. And, And Richard, something that's really become fascinating in recent years is a better understanding of how inflammation resulting from infection can cause permeability in the intestinal lining, something known as leaky gut syndrome, which allows resonant bacterial toxins, such as endotoxin, to move into the bloodstream, which can be a a potent activator of sepsis. So it's really a multitude of different factors that contribute to sepsis. and, And that's why we believe you need to be able to hit these targets, all of them, on a rapid real-time basis. So it sounds like sepsis is, a, um, is an over-response by the body to a condition of infection, whether it's viral, bacterial, et cetera. What happens in the immune response where it turns to be disadvantageous instead of advantageous to help the person? <laughs> well, it, inevitably, most people at the end, towards the end of sepsis that leads to death, there's, there's actually an inverse correlation of immune paralysis where the immune system, instead of over-responding, just begins to shut down, which is problematic. But, you know, the thing that we recognize is that you need to be able to hit multiple targets, both the pathogen sources of inflammation, as well as inflammatory cytokines and other mediators. And you need to do it, you know, not just to treat sepsis, but there needs to be a strategy to reduce the incidence of sepsis. And And one of the things that we're learning is some of the biggest triggers of sepsis are not appropriately treated or diagnosed prior to sepsis occurring. And and this is this is a big problem that that uh, we're working on resolving. So is sepsis uh, clinically well understood and broken down into stages and, you know, the symptoms are well known or is it still actually kind of nebulous or does it manifest very differently in different people? It is. I would not say that the components of sepsis are well-known. The basic parameters are well-studied and known, but there's constant new discoveries. Uh, For example, when we started uh, Segan Therapeutics, uh, we recognized the role that pro-inflammatory cytokines play in precipitating sepsis. And these have been targets for the drug industry. Individually, they've been targets for the drug industry for years. But, you know, we that components that are involved the production of these pro-inflammatory cytokines 
And, and they're not just, you know, you know we learned that these just aren't circulating freely in the bloodstream, that they're also being transported by extracellular vesicles, which we call cytovesicles, which have, have really been beyond the reach of previous therapies. Well, um, the extracellular vesicles you're talking about, are they, um, where are they coming from and what's their role specifically in sepsis and what was their role before, let's say, sepsis occurred? Well, my previous work, we did a lot of work related to tumor-derived exosomes, which when we started doing the work, you know, these extracellular vesicles were considered to be just cellular debris with no biological function. And, and we did a lot of the early pioneering work that really helped reveal that these ta- targets were not only immunos- immunosuppressive in cancer patients, but they were actually, actually contributing to the spread of metastases. So, you know, when we started Segan, we were fascinated by whether there was a role for extracellular vesicles in conditions that are life-threatening, life-threatening inflammatory conditions such as sepsis. And, you know, it's an emerging area of research where people are starting to now publish that pro-inflammatory cytokines are major cargoes in inflammation that are being transported by extracellular vesicles. And again, we, we call them cytovesicles just to eliminate some of the confusion. So uh, EVs, from what I understand, you know, if you try to centrifuge a sample with them in it, they break open and they're very difficult to process. They're delicate. So are there, you're saying there's cytokines being packaged inside of EVs that are being released by cells and do they make it to their destination or is it because they're so fragile, they tend to break apart under various stresses and then flood the body inappropriately? Do they have off-target effects? What do you think is happening? Richard, I think that your assessment in, in, in your question is partially right. There's still a, learning, a lot of learning that's going on right now, but you're right. The ability to isolate these particles historically has been a challenge for advancing you know, research in the field. And so our device, I should point out by mechanism, is unique in the sense that we access the circulatory system of a patient and it circulates through our device, the entire bloodstream of a patient circulates through our device about 15 times over the course of a four-hour treatment. And as blood flows into the device, there are a few thousand hollow fibers the blood flows through, but the plasma and other particles that generally are below 200 nanometers in size, they diffuse through the fiber walls into the extra lumen space, uh, which is the space outside of the fibers and inside of the shell of the cartridge. And it's in this space that we incorporate a formulation of absorbent components that remove our targets. And in that space is a very, very low shear force environment that optimizes the removal of targets, including cytovesicles, as well as free circulating pro-inflammatory cytokines, bacterial toxins, and then viral pathogens as well. Sota CBD products are formulated with scientifically proven and all-natural ingredients that a dermatologist approved to help with improving sleep and inflammatory skin diseases to support overall wellness. They're offering our listeners a generous 25% off their first purchase. Use coupon code FINDINGGENIUS. No spaces in there, one word, Finding Genius, to save 25% at checkout site-wide. To do so, visit SOTACBD.com. That's S-O-T-A-C-B-D.com. Interesting. So you're doing a complete or a partial filtration and then the blood's being returned to the body, and are you filtering out EVs, or what are you primarily seeing in the filtrate? We, we are. We are filtering out 
the extracellular vesicles. And, and generally, the fiber walls of our device limit us to removing targets that are below 200 nanometers in size, which that's, that allows you know, for a wide range of targets to be able to be captured. And, and the thing that, that we're very happy with in our studies is that we can effectively remove these targets from the bloodstream without stripping out essential components from blood that are required for health. Have you tried modulating the size of the filter or done a low high pass one? Let's say you screen, you do 100 nanometers and below, or let's say you, you keep it between 100 and 200. Maybe these EVs are exosome size and smaller ones need to be preserved. Have you guys played with any of that? We haven't. When we designed the device, we had certain parameters and the mechanism of action of our devices is pressure dependent. It's a matter of flowing blood through the fibers in our device at a flow rate that's not so fast that it creates hemolysis, but also not so slow that it doesn't create enough pressure to drive plasma and the targets in the plasma into the extra lumen space where, where they can be bound or captured. So, you know, by design, we kind of stuck with what we knew and, you know, have, have, have kept to that. And it seems to, be, seems to be working quite well. The filtrate that you guys create, does it have any use? Could it be concentrated and somehow further processed and then used in some kind of biological process? Any thoughts of that? I understand where you're going. We don't have a protocol at this point to elute out the biological fluids or the components that we're capturing in the cartridge. We have done that previously with other types of devices, but, but we haven't done that with Segan therapy yet. Yeah, in the future, I know you can't do everything, but it might be interesting if you're able to use that concentrate for something, see what you know, interesting properties it may have. Absolutely. And there's another factor for wanting to do that, and that's uh, you know, if you can't effectively elute what you've captured out of the extra lumen space, you can also help yourself out from a regulatory standpoint because you know, you're reliant on assays to quantify the reduction of targets in the circulatory system. And, and sometimes those assays have quite a bit of variability in them. And so if you were claiming that your product could remove endotoxin, wouldn't it be nice if you could actually elute what was captured in the extra space out and quantify the amount of endotoxin in the cartridge and no longer circulating in the patient? I wonder if you're able to, again, take the filtrate and I don't know if you were to irrigate a tumor or to try to then run it locally, you know, in a certain area, not systemically. I don't know if it's even possible, but I just wonder what a concentrated amount of these EVs would do to, you know, a given bacteria or a viral invader if they weren't systemic, but focused in one place. That would be an interesting proposition. Yeah, I know that's not, not what you're doing. Well, so it, what is it, this? I will say, Richard, you know, in, in regards to extracellular vesicles or, or exosomes more specifically, I recall a time when we were doing research in tumor-derived exosomes and the medical community consensus was, you know, they're just cellular debris with not any biological function. And well, it's just like saying by, junk DNA. They think everything is junk right. until they say surprise. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden when people discovered that these did play a significant role, that tumor-derived exosomes did play a significant role in, in cancer progression. The question we were then faced was, well, what if you remove the good exosome? So, you know, it's always, there's always a challenge that, uh, you know, at one point people don't, don't care if you remove these targets. They don't think they're important. 
been the concern that might be addressing the good ones. So it's there's a, still a lot of learning in the field that needs to be done. So this is in clinic now, or have you developed the protocol, but it's not fully approved? Where are you at with the process? We So Richard, about 14 months ago, uh, Segan therapy was more or less a conceptual design that was conceived and patented uh, by myself and my co-founder, Craig Roberts. And when we designed the device, we looked at the two most prevalent devices that were being deployed in the marketplace to address life-threatening inflammatory conditions. And, and the one device was focused specifically on cytokine absorption. And the other device was an antibiotic-based device that removed endotoxin. We saw one device that removed endotoxin, but not cytokines, and the other removed cytokines, but not endotoxin. So for us, the first thing in our mind was we should be able to easily design a device that can remove both endotoxin and inflammatory cytokines. And that was the premise of our design. Since then, we've taken it from conceptual design to six different in vitro blood purification studies that have validated the ability to address a broad spectrum of inflammatory cytokines that are considered to be most relevant in inflammatory disease, not just endotoxin, but also gram-positive bacterial toxins, viral pathogens, including COVID-19. And the cytovesicle study we did as a model study using liposomes, which are often used in uh, extracellular vesicle studies as, as a model. But in parallel to that, we initiated our first uh, animal studies and just completed an eight-subject pig study in 40 kilo pigs, which are approximately 90 pounds, which represent a, uh, you know, a small human and demonstrated our device to be safe and well-tolerated. And, and now we'll be taking the data from all of these studies and incorporating it into a investigational device exemption that we will submit to CDRH which is the medical device division of FDA, to request permission to initiate human studies here in the United States. I know, again, this is off topic, but it might be a cool licensing play. Uh, the dialysis industry, if they were to add on what you guys do, I wonder what that would do to the quality of the, uh, you know, the blood and, and other material being returned to someone's body. I know it's a whole yeah, other area, the, uh, just a thought came. Well, it's a good thought, Richard, because the way we designed our device, it's a simple blood-in one side of the cartridge and blood out the other. And this was a critical design component because it allows for the device to be utilized on the global infrastructure of dialysis and CRRT machines that are already located in hospitals and clinics worldwide. And so one of beyond, beyond that point, which is really quite attractive from a market deployment standpoint, is you know we also think about applications of this technology in a wide range of indications. And as you bring up dialysis, one of the challenges for dialysis patients is a, most dialysis patients suffer from elevated roles of levels of inflammation, but they also have an accumulation of uremic toxins, which are just a little bit too big for a normal dialysis cartridge to remove. So an opportunity that's been expressed to us is wouldn't it be nice from time to time to be able to put our device in series with a patient's dialysis cartridge during the regular treatment just to knock down levels of inflammation as well as uremic toxins. Yeah, also with blood transfusions, you know, I wonder if your device act, would act as an additional filter that would improve or, you know, make worse the transfused blood 
So I guess there are a lot of platforms you can plug into to deliver the service and to also, you know, make studying what's going on easier. You know, what's happening when you take yeah. out this component of the blood. Right. Well, there's, there's a lot of fascinating applications. You know, there's a, uh, a growing field of people looking at things in the blood to reverse the aging process. And, and there's a group up in the Bay Area that a number of years ago demonstrated that they could infuse the blood of a young mouse into an old mouse and, and reverse the aging process. And there's been a lot of a lot of talk about those experiments. You know, what is it in young blood that could do that? And as time's gone by, they're starting to recognize the same groups are starting to recognize that, well, maybe it's not something that was in the young blood. It's things that aren't in the blood of a younger person, that there's a, an accumulation, you know, of cellular garbage that is problematic and perhaps the ability to... Uh, reduce the circulating burden of, of some of that might be beneficial long-term. Have you tried this on, um, I think you said you used pigs. Do they try it on healthy we ones? I yeah, know, on sick, they're, sick they're, ones, they're obviously. Healthy. Oh, what, uh, it, it, were you able it, to get it, sick this, ones that were septic to compare, or you just did healthy ones? We just did healthy pigs. You know, our goal, first phase to get started in humans, is to just demonstrate that our device is safe and, and well to- well tolerated. So, yeah, the pigs that we we treated were healthy. Well, it'll be interesting in people if, you know, if you're allowed to do this at some point, someone's healthy, they have the procedure, what happens to them? Do they experience better health, any changes? You know, what if they do it uh, no, I, once I a month, think, three times? Yeah, we, we wouldn't expect any any uh, substantial changes in a, in a healthy person. You know, the device really, when we designed it, we recognized, you know, this is for acute life-threatening conditions. That's the primary use. Perhaps down the road, people will find other applications for the technology. But at the outset, it's really to, to solve some real therapeutic challenges that currently exist that are, that are unmet needs. And conditions like sepsis, I mean, that's the number one cause of hospital deaths worldwide. And then you look at what's causing, you know, what are the things that are inducing sepsis? And, and what I was fascinated by, Richard, is that you know, we discovered that community-acquired pneumonia is the cause for approximately 50% of sepsis cases, and that most of the patients that are hospital, the majority of hospitalized patients, the pathogen cause of the infection is never identified. But yet the physicians will empirically uh, administer antibiotics. But, you know, it really caught our attention that patients, hospitalized patients are being treated without the pathogen cause of the pneumonia being identified. And we looked at that and said, boy, what if you had a mechanism that was agnostic that could eliminate circulating viruses, bacterial toxins, as well as dampening down the inflammatory process? You know, would this not just be a a potential treatment for sepsis, but could you reduce the incidence of sepsis? Could you establish this as the standard of care for treating people that are likely to have an infection that could lead to severe and infl- severe inflammatory response, but you could initiate treatment prior to knowing what the pathogen was. Yeah, no, that would be helpful. What will this look like clinically when it's in full use? Someone will be very sick in sepsis; they'll get this. Will it just give their? It will it reboot their immune system. Will it just give them time to clear the problem without again going septic? Like, what do you imagine will happen? Well, that's the intent. Is that 
you know, with pro-inflammatory cytokines, you know, our goal isn't to eliminate them. It's just to modulate, modulate them down to kind of reset the equilibrium of the immune system by modulating those down, reducing the circulating burden of bacterial toxins that in many cases might just be moving through the intestinal walls because of increased permeability caused by the uh, inflammatory response that might be triggered by a viral pathogen. So it's, it's just to quickly, you know, augment the immune system's response to the infection. We like to kind of think it is recalibrating the immune response to infection. Um, what would this look like if it's used in someone with advanced septus? You know, you didn't catch them early enough versus someone that's earlier on. What do you imagine would happen? Well, I would imagine it could be quite valuable just from the standpoint that there are no other treatment options. Or at present, there's no other treatment options. So, you know, it's something likely to be deployed. You know, but hopefully, hopefully through clinical testing, we can demonstrate outcomes that will, will cause people to want to deploy this earlier on into the condition. Yeah. How many people a year in the U.S. or worldwide succumb to sepsis? How big is the problem? The statistics from 2018 with 49 million people were hospitalized with sepsis worldwide. It's a big number. And once people get to the sepsis, the mortality rate is, you know, 35 to 40 percent. And, and so it's a, it's a significant unmet need. And, and if you just go back to what I mentioned, the community-acquired pneumonia, if you could just treat earlier there, you, you would just dramatically drop the incidence of sepsis as about 50% of sepsis cases emanate from pneumonia. So how long is the path to uh, full clinical approval? I know you don't know exactly, but what do you think it's going to be? How long? <laughs> well, I, I've worked with the review teams at CDRH for a number of years. And we're pursuing what's known as a modular strategy. And so with medical devices, uh, we have a feasibility study, which is a safety study in humans, where we're demonstrating that the device is safe and well tolerated and that, you know, maybe there's observations of efficacy that we can carry forward. But when I say modular, it's modular in the sense that we want to complete a safety study and an indication, and then bridge off of that safety study into pivotal studies, not just for that safety study indication, but pivotal studies for other indications. And pivotal studies are the equivalent of like a phase three drug study. And so these studies in terms of size, historically with blood purification technologies, feasibility study to demonstrate safety is usually 10 to 15 patients. As If you just look at historical devices that have advanced through CDRH. And then pivotal studies, depending on the indication, can be anywhere from 60 subjects to more than 300 subjects, of which 50% of the enrolled subjects are usually control subjects. Yeah, I, well, I guess if you do sepsis, the ethics of it would be tricky. So if it shows a dramatic fast effect, then you know I can see you can convert the whole cohort to using it. But you know if you are getting the placebo and then you pass away, I don't know. It just seems like the ethics of it yeah. are tricky to navigate. You, you need to get some victories along the way clinically. So you don't just, you know, it, it's, it'd be highly risky just to jump into sepsis as your main indication, both for the challenge, challenges you reference as, as well as others. You need to, you know, demonstrate conditions that are highly associated with sepsis that you can address. One indication 
that, uh, just as an example, one indication is actually liver-related, uh, and it's called hepatic encephalopathy. And these patients, sometimes they'll call it sepsis encephalopathy, but the, the target that we would look at is patients with chronic liver failure that have these acute events that hospitalize them. And so the, the problem is their liver is not functioning. So it allows for an accumulation of hepatic toxins, liver toxins, to accumulate in the bloodstream, which creates an inflammatory response, which increases the permeability of the blood-brain barrier. And these toxins move across the blood-brain barrier. In many cases, when patients are hospitalized as a result of this hepatic encephalopathy, you know, they are either in some level of delirium or they're comatose. And there's a high mortality rate in these patients. And so the other thing that's occurring is the inflammation that's increasing the permeability to allow the toxins move into the blood-brain barrier is also increasing the permeability of the intestinal lining. And it's allowing bacterial toxins to move into the bloodstream, which are potent activators of sepsis. So, you know, there are certain sub-indications like hepatic encephalopathy where you, you state, well, what if you could remove hepatic toxins? pro-inflammatory cytokines and the bacterial toxins that are moving in the bloodstream that are, that are potent activators of sepsis. And so, you know, our device, you know, we've demonstrated the ability to remove all of those targets. And we think, you know, some of these conditions as we move towards sepsis, you know, are going to be easier victories clinically than just going for sepsis right out of the block. Yeah, no, no this is really great stuff that you guys are doing. That's why I'm excited about it. These ideas are just coming, but I know you guys have thought of a lot more. Uh, what's the well, best way it, for people it, to it, go? Well, I was just gonna—I was gonna say—you start thinking about, you know, you have these exercises with, you know, thought leaders in the field, and and you start when you think about what we're doing in a world of drugs that are additive therapies, we're subtractive therapies, and and it's fascinating when you start thinking about the possibilities of what you could remove from the bloodstream to be clinically beneficial. It's sometimes can be a, uh, you know, a fun thing to think about uh, as it relates to the possibility for different conditions you could treat with extracorporeal blood purification technologies. So what's the best way for people to find out more about SIGIN and keep tabs? I would encourage people to go to our website, register for our email news delivery service. Our website is SIGIN Therapeutics. Dot com and Segan is S-I-G-Y-N, therapeutics.com. Well, very good. Thank you for coming. And, uh, you know, again, the service that you're working on is going to be incredibly valuable and have a lot of far-ranging of positive effects, I can, I can tell. So, again, thanks for coming well, on the thank, podcast. Thank you, Richard. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Remember, before you go, ask yourself, do you want better sleep? How about better overall skin? Using SOTA CBD products is one of the best things you can do for your overall wellness. Get your CBD-infused products from a company who uses proven scientific research to help support wellness and treat inflammatory skin diseases. Sota CBD is giving our listeners 25% off their first purchase. Just use coupon code FINDINGGENIUS at checkout. Save 25% site-wide. Go to SotaCBD.com to shop. S-O-T-A-C-B-D.com. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? 
Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.